Father, what a great work you've done to move in our hearts. The truth is that we know that we struggle to be, um, we struggle as consumers, sometimes greedy, sometimes covetous. But Spirit of God, you are so kind to reshape our hearts so that it is our great delight and joy to give to others. Thank you for this church family, the sacrifice, the faithfulness, the generosity that describes the members and our friends who consider Hope Point their church family. Thank you. Thank you for the work you have done in us, and thank you for the work that you are doing through us. How you have supplied abundantly above what we could even ask or think. We want to thank you for the partners, especially in India, also in Barksdale, who care for these dear ones that you love and are communicating right now your love for them using the gifts that we have been able to collect together to say to them, strangers to us, that we love you, that you, Lord God, loves you love them. And I ask you, Father, that you would just continue to do your work among us as we collect together, as we give together to support this great mission that you have sent us on. I ask, Father, that you would just continue to work. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. When we look back at this time last year, could have never imagined that I'd be preaching to a group of people wearing masks, that in the 21st century, every country in the world would be affected by the same thing, a virus that has shut down economies and industries and, and government offices and sports and church. And for most of us, this is the most unexpected Christmas ever, which is why we can appreciate the first Christmas so much. It, too, was filled with things that nobody would have ever expected. The Old Testament was filled with promises that a Messiah was coming, a ruler, a king, an anointed man who would set up an everlasting kingdom that would be composed of righteousness and justice. But the one thing that nobody expected is the way this mighty one would come. Luke 1, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. His kingdom will never end. There are several things about this text where you say this was unexpected. First was that the angel would be sent to Nazareth. We touched on it last week. There are 929 chapters in the Old Testament, and not one of them mentions Nazareth. It was so unobscure, so unknown, and so uncelebrated. Nobody would have ever thought it was going to be that place where the king of history would be born. In fact, in this day and time, there was a joke which said, nothing good can ever come out of Nazareth. And likewise, the girl that's in the town, it was unexpected that she would be chosen to be part of the first Christmas story. The Bible says in verse 28 that she has been highly favored. It's a Greek word which means she has received a double portion of grace. Anytime God does something in our life, 
It is an act of grace. We don't deserve it. But when you have been chosen to be the mother of the Son of God, you have been chosen with the most spectacular and unique mission ever given to anybody in the history of the world. And she said, it was all of grace. She even, in a later prayer in Luke chapter 1, she said, my soul glorifies the Lord for I don't deserve this. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The word humble means I am in a low-ranking position. Nobody knows me. I don't have any finances. I don't have any clout. Nobody would ever regard me and choose me to be a leader. I am a low-ranking person. In fact, Mary was so low-ranking that when she did dedicate Jesus, she was so financially impoverished that she had to partner with one of the Old Testament verses that if you didn't have enough money with your child to bring a higher gift, you could bring a lower gift at the day of your baby dedication. Luke 12, 8 says, but if she cannot afford a lamb, she's to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. She didn't have enough money to bring a lamb, so she brings two doves. And as you can see, one of the doves was for her own sin. How remarkable is this? She was chosen to be the savior of the world, but she herself needed saving. You would not have expected God to choose her. So why did God choose someone like Mary, somebody we would never expect, to fulfill a principle that's throughout all of Scripture? God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. So in order to bring the king into the world, God chose a peasant couple, low-ranking, in an unknown, uncelebrated town, as a statement that he could make at every Christmas over the past 21st centuries, God's grace loves to come to those who would say, surely he will never come to me. That's the message of Mary and Nazareth. The great message of Christmas is there is hope for everyone. In fact, the weaker that you feel, the more God is inclined to come and give you a double portion of His grace. This is the promise of Christmas. And see, a promise that you receive today by faith and you unwrap it and say, I accept your unexplainable, undeserved gift. Or it's a a gift that you reject and say, I'm not going to come by faith to you. And surely you say today, I would never turn down a gift from God. Surely you would. Every time you say, my life is too bad. I have sinned too much to come to God. Do you know what you're doing? You're taking baby Jesus out of the manger, wrapping him back up, putting him in the attic, and telling the sheep to go away for another year. And you are rejecting the gift of God. It comes to those who say, I'm low-ranking And I have nothing but the grace of God. Another unexpected aspect of Christmas is the the miracle of her pregnancy. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married. They were going to get married, but they weren't married at this time. There was no sexual bond. And to that woman, without a husband, without a union, God said, you will become pregnant. Shocking to you, shocking to her. She says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit, a supernatural, 
will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. There are many things that separate Jesus Christ from all all other men. The miracles that he performed on earth, unlike anything that anybody has ever done. His resurrection from the dead. But equally important is his virgin birth. Billions of people have been born in history, but there's only been one man in all of the world that was virgin born, and that is Jesus Christ. Why is this virgin birth so, this unexpected virgin birth so important in the narrative of the first Christmas? Nobody answers it better than David Mathis in his new book, A Christmas We Didn't Expect. This is why the virgin birth happened. Humanity needs a saving that it cannot bring about for itself. The fact that the human race couldn't produce its own redeemer implies that its sin and guilt are profound and that its savior must come from outside. The virgin birth tells us that man is so lost that only a miracle man could come and save the world. No politician, no business executive, no famous athlete, no actor, no human produced by a human can save humanity. Only the heaven-sent, spirit-conceived, virgin-born of Christ can redeem a fallen world. You know, people say, they ask, can you be a Christian and not believe in the virgin birth? No. Because as soon as you reject this supernatural claim of Scripture, you'll soon reject God altogether. Next year marks the 80th year for the founding of the American Humanist Association. They have written three manifestos of what they believe about the power of humanity to fix itself. It's really all summarized in in their logo. American Humanist Association, good without a God. Now, they've written three manifestos. I'm going to read to you some excerpts from their second manifesto. Humanists believe that faith in the prayer-hearing God is harmful, diverting people with false hopes of heaven. Reasonable minds look to other means of survival, using technology wisely. We can control our environment Conquer poverty, markedly reduce disease, extend our lifespan, significantly modify our behavior, false theologies of hope and messianic ideologies cannot cope with existing world realities. We need to extend the uses of the scientific method. We find insufficient evidence for belief in the existence of a supernatural. As non-theists, we Begin with humans, not God. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Promises of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation are both illusory and harmful. They distract humans from rectifying social injustices. Human life has meaning because we create and develop our futures. Reason and intelligence are the most effective instruments that humankind possesses. If you've been wondering, saying to yourself recently, has a major shift occurred in this nation, in the world, 
in which man is forsaking as never before his dependency on God and his reliance on science and intellect and human ability, yes, at breathtaking speed as I've never seen it, people believe that we are in charge of us. You know why there's so much political fervor during an election season? Because everyone has messianic hopes. They want someone who will bring down a system that they view as corrupt. They want a leader that sees them and will fight for them. But what we learn from politics is that it always disappoints. And it always lets us down. For the messiahs never emerge. Either they self-destruct, under-deliver, or they're crushed by the system. So we wait a few more years for another election, 2024. We'll get it right then, right? We wait for another messiah. All over the world, people are waiting and longing for a messiah. And the good news of Christmas, he's come. And he longs to include you in his kingdom if you will come by faith. And say, I, like Mary, do not deserve this. I am low-ranking. I am a sinner. At the end of the service, between now and the end of the service, we invite you in your own way to pray in your heart to God Almighty. I want to be saved. I need a Messiah. I believe that you were sent from heaven, Jesus, to come save me from my sin. You can pray that in your seat. God, this Christmas, my gift I give to you is my heart. The gift I receive from you is your salvation. In the history of the world, there's never been a more important time to believe in the virgin birth of Christ because it is the loudest statement in Scripture that humanity needs a Savior that humanity can't produce. The third unexpected event at Christmas were the people who were uniquely invited to celebrate with Joseph and Mary. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. In 2017, a group of physicists from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln produced the brightest light ever manufactured on earth. Through a unique process, they used a laser to bombard a single electron with approximately 1,000 photons per burst of laser light. The result was a light that was one billion times brighter than the surface of the sun. Now that's what man can do. What do you think it looked like on the fields of Judea when the glory of God shone that night? Of course they were terrified. They thought their life was ending with such a release of energy. And the angel had come to say, no, no, your life is about to begin. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. I love this message from the angel. This intense shining of the holiness of God is not intended so that you were cower in fear. 
but you will be comforted by love. For this mighty one has come not to harm you, but to save you. And what happens when humble, humble shepherds, humble, truth-seeking people receive this kind of news that God has not come to harm you but to save you? What does it produce? The Bible simply calls it great joy. Didn't say joy. There's lots of things that produce joy. A fun vacation, a delicious meal, a beautiful song, a fresh diaper, if you're a baby. All of these produce joy. But when you hear that the mightiest force in the world has come not to harm you, but to save you, that is great joy. And out of all the people on earth to receive the news that one so mighty has come to save, it was a group of shepherds, shepherds, that would receive this announcement. You talk about low-ranking people. Mary said she was low-ranking. Joseph was low-ranking. How about step it down lower? Shepherds. Micro of dirty jobs. If it would have been around in the first century, they would have been on the first show. They lived with sheep and smelled like sheep. Their jobs were so demanding 24-7 that they could not attend with any sort of regularity the religious services of the synagogue. So they felt second class at best, and yet they were invited to a front row seat for the glory of God. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. The whole sky is filled with angels. Can you imagine if you were a director or producer of religious events and you put on the greatest Christmas show ever? Right here. And the people that you invite, the only people you invite, dirty shepherds and their wandering sheep. But that's the way God works. He does it a lot differently than we would expect, doesn't he? And that's why we love that line from the great movie, The Chosen. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, get ready for different. Luke 2, 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they, they leave their sheep, and they go. They run to see Christ, one who brings hope, salvation. I told you Christmas was filled with unexpected things. Do you know what I find to be most unexpected in Bethlehem? No religious leaders. The shepherds were told they had no knowledge. Very little religious knowledge. They, they meet God in the fields and they go. They make an adjustment to their life. The religious leaders also were told by a group of astrologers from Iraq, 
that had come to Jerusalem asking about the birth of this king. Do you know how far Jerusalem is from Bethlehem? Six miles. You could begin walking in the morning and arrive in the afternoon. The religious leaders knew the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. It's, all, it's in the book of Micah. They knew it. But they knew it here and didn't know it here. A warning, a severe warning this Christmas. Many religious people will not see the Lord ever. Because their knowledge is like the religious people and the leaders have only in their head. They knew where he was going to be born. And they couldn't even make a six-mile walk. Pity us if the information that we gather every Sunday only affects our brain and not our heart. Now let's close our study by looking at what the shepherds saw when they arrived in Bethlehem, just as the angel said. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Just as the angel said, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Why the specific instructions? You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths in a manger. Well, there had been a number of births in Bethlehem at this time. We found out later from what Herod did to them. A number of births. So the angel is simply saying, when you go to Bethlehem, don't be looking for a six-month-old baby. No, brand new baby. One that's so fragile that his little arms and legs still have to be swaddled because he's so vulnerable. That's how new he is, shepherds. And you'll find him in a barn, an animal barn, in a manger. So that's the first reason, I think, that, that the specificity of the instructions, just to say it's a very, very newborn you're looking for. I think there's a second reason that he made this point. is just so you and I would remember the extent to which God has gone to demonstrate his love for you. This baby that's in this manger, prior to being named Jesus, in all of eternity, he's called the Word of God equal to the Father. He doesn't have a body. Like the Father, he is spirit everywhere. Not just filling every square inch of the universe, but oozing beyond the universe and whatever is beyond our universe. He fills it all. And yet here, he's so small. This eternal word is so small. God in a manger, so vulnerable that his little, tiny, vulnerable, fragile arms and legs are wrapped in swaddling clothes to protect them from breaking. We see that in order to become the Savior of men, Jesus had to be like all men, which meant he had to be born and he had to be vulnerable. That's how much God loves you. God would become a baby. Do you know what the most important thing you can do this week? And I guarantee you, your list is long already. 
Let me tell you the most important thing you can do this week. Stop. Stop thinking about what you have to get done this week. Stop thinking about what 2021 is going to be like. Stop thinking about the challenges and even the sorrows you face. Stop and start thinking about that first Christmas. God is lying in a manger with his arms and his legs swaddled for you. Maybe there's a third reason for the specificity of the language. You see, the way that Jesus began his life is the way that Jesus ended his life 33 years later. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, John 19. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and the strips of linen. At the beginning of his life, Jesus was so weak he had to be swaddled. At the end of his life, he became so weak, he had to be swaddled. How much does God love you? He sent his son to be born in a manger. And as soon as that little boy learned how to walk, he began a three-decade walk to the cross. Because in order for him to be the Savior of all men, he had to die for all sin. He died for the sins of the shepherds. He died for the sins of the parents who raised him. He died for every person on this planet, where you, whether you are low-ranking and brokenhearted or you are high-ranking and brokenhearted. It makes no difference to God. They all need a Savior. And if they're willing to humble themselves and confess their need for a Savior, He will save them and invite them ever into His eternal kingdom. There's hope for everyone. This Christmas season, I don't know of anybody who says that better than Dallas Jenkins. He produced a phenomenal movie called The Chosen. If you haven't downloaded The Chosen on the App Store, please do that. But in the meantime, I want you to see what was it like through the mind, the baptized imagination of Dallas Jenkins for those shepherds on that first Christmas. You, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Teacher, I have a question about the Messiah. 
I've studied Torah every day. A and shepherd wants to learn. Yes. You brought this animal? I said spotless. Spotless? Yes. These are for righteous men. For the perfect sacrifice. Very sorry. Very sorry. Very sorry. You wonder why the Messiah hasn't come? People like you keeping him away with your stains. If you come back here without a perfect lamb, I will banish you all from the marketplace. Now, come, come. I warned you about this. Are you deaf as well as lame? I'm sorry. We are not slowing down for you. You take this rat back up to the hill and try and keep up. Or find your own way back. Excuse me, friend. Could you point me to a well in this town? My wife hasn't had a drink in hours. At the other end of the square. Thank you, brother. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Here. Oh, thank you for your kindness. How far have you come? From Galilee, Nazareth. Don't say that too loud here. You know, they say, uh, Nothing good can come from... I know what they say about Nazareth. Don't worry, I won't tell anyone. Secret safe with me. Thank you for your kindness. And my name is Simon. Out of my way. We must go. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. <laughs> Finally, he's back! Hello, Simon. <coughs> Stay with the sheep. He is useless. Why do you keep him around?
Tell someone. We must tell everyone. We must tell everyone. Everyone. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We've waited for this for so long. So long. His arm. His arm. His arm. His arm. Oh, it's okay. Thank <laughs> you. 
What will you name him? Jesus. We will name him Jesus. I must go. People must know. People must know. People must know. shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I told you not to come back here. So where is it? Have you found a spotless lamb for sacrifice? <laughs> 